Gil Rind is an American who's been living in Melbourne for the past four and a half years with a degree in mechanical and biomedical engineering. After working for a few years in, in neurology research at the University of Melbourne, he's now combining his love of medical science and engineering into researching new ways to create a cyborg. Gil. Hi everyone. How about a round of applause for the organizers on their first year anniversary? So, my name is Gil. I'm going to be talking to you about uh, a man that has been described as having had more negative impact on the environment than any other single organism in Earth's history. Thomas Midgley Jr. was born in 1889 in Pennsylvania. He studied engineering, mechanical engineering, and uh, went on to become an industrial chemist, working for GM for, the mo for most of his life. He had a special knack for creating products and inventions that benefited millions, unfortunately, to his bad luck, to the detriment of billions. A nice little uh, foreshadow for his career to come is a story from early in his career working for GM in which he was working on a fuse when it exploded and little particles of metal flew into his eye and got embedded there, causing him great discomfort. He went to go seek out the advice of his doctor. However, the doctor said that the pieces of metal were too far embedded into his eye and it was too dangerous to try to get them removed. Thomas Midgley, in his ingenious fashion, came up with a way to experiment and try to remove them himself. He immersed his eye several times in purified mercury with the hope that it would soften the metal and remove it from his cornea. This uh, would show his, both his geniusness and his affinity towards slightly unhealthy and toxic uh, chemicals. <laughs> Amazingly, this actually did work. It removed the pieces from his eye and somehow did not cause him any ill effects. Now, one of the main projects that he worked on with GM was on trying to solve the problem of knocking in engines. For those that aren't engineers or car buffs in the audience, essentially what engine knock is, is when fuel inside of a piston of a car has a small portion of it compressed quicker than the rest of it, creates a little micro bubble of high pressure that then explodes and causes the fuel to explode prior to when it's supposed to in its compression cycle. I know this is probably very exciting for all of you to learn. <laughs> now, uh, this can cause a lot of damage to the piston. In addition, it uh, can create a very loud bang noise, which can be very upsetting to the driver. And it also limits the, the ceiling of the, of the efficiency of the engine. So a lot of car manufacturers were getting very frustrated because they couldn't make cars as efficient and powerful as they could otherwise do so if knocking didn't occur. So after three years of research, Thomas Midgley finally came up with the perfect anti-knock agent. GM, combined with DuPont and uh, Standard Oil of New Jersey, now known as ExxonMobil, to form a new company in order to manufacture and sell this product called Ethyl Gasoline Corporation, which uh, would be manufacturing and selling this beautiful new product of ethyl, which 
Its full chemical name is tetraethyl lead. However, uh, they tended to put a little bit more emphasis on the ethyl part than the lead part. I'm not quite sure why. Um, this, of course, is leaded petrol, which quickly went into circulation around the world and became very popular because it did work very well as an anti-knock agent. Unfortunately, very quickly after it started being produced, there started to be some ill effects that were seen at the factories that were manufacturing them. Now, uh, ethyl lead was produced in 1923, and at that time, the Negative effects of lead toxicity were fairly well known in society. Um, some of the side effects for those that aren't medical buffs include blindness, insomnia, kidney failure, hearing loss, cancer, palsies, convulsions, hallucinations, coma, and death. All permanent, especially the death. To Thomas Midgley's credit, and GM's credit, lead at that time, despite knowing some of the dangers of it, was not really shunned by society. In fact, it could be found in the solder in food tins, in the lining of water tanks, in fruit pesticides, and in toothpaste tubes. <clears throat> now, once it was introduced in, in leaded petrol, almost immediately, workers in these factories started to show signs of staggered gait, confused faculties, irreversible delusions. However, don't fear because Ethel Corporation was there to publicly announce that it wasn't the lead that was causing this. No, no. These men probably went insane because they worked too hard. <laughs> it's a bit worrisome when a corporation goes out of its way to try to brag about how poorly it treats its workers. In its first year of production, 15 workers died and countless more were permanently disabled. <clears throat> now, um, one particular incident made it into the news. Most of them did not, as Ethel Corporation tended to have a lot of powerful people as friends and on its board that were able to hush up a lot of the uh, controversies that would otherwise be created. However, in 1924, right after the opening of a new manufacturing plant, five workers died and 35 more were disabled in a matter of days from when the factory was opened. You might say that, okay, Ethel Corp probably has some blame for what was going on, but was Thomas Midgley really responsible? I mean, he just invented it. He couldn't have possibly known that it would cause, or that the, the facilities would be so poorly ventilated. He may not even have known that much about uh, the effects of lead in general on the human body, considering that he played with mercury in his spare time. <laughs> However, about a month before Ethel was introduced to the public, he actually wrote that after about a year's work in organic lead, I find that my lungs have been affected and that it is necessary to drop all work and get a large supply of fresh air, in which he took off a month or two in order to recover from his own small case of lead poisoning. So he was fairly aware that, uh, that lead was a bit dangerous, especially, or even in leaded petrol. This didn't stop him, however, after the incident in 1924 with the dead workers, to hold a public demonstration with tetraethyl lead, in which he held a container of it to his nose and inhaled for, 30, or for 60 seconds, sorry, and then poured it over both of his hands and claimed that he could do this day after day for the rest of his life without any harm coming upon him. 
What he neglected to mention was that he was actually very afraid of the stuff and avoided it at all costs outside of publicly demonstrating how safe it was. Now, I think today we all know that lead is fairly dangerous uh, to people and in the environment. And it was banned in 1986. However, from the years of 1923 when it was introduced to 1986 when it was banned, uh, it built up to the point where it now is responsible, or leaded petrol is responsible for about 90% of the lead in the atmosphere. And in America, for example, the blood level of lead is about 625 times higher than it was prior to 1923. And lead is a very permanent thing. It stays around for a very long time, both in the atmosphere and in people. It's been associated with increased illness and criminal tendencies in youth. The, ironically, on a side note, the only positive thing that, uh, that people have found to come from leaded petrol is that it had a slightly positive effect on global warming, as when lead went into the atmosphere, it tended to attract water to it to form ice uh, crystals around it, which would then allow heat to escape the atmosphere more efficiently than if the lead wasn't there. So, yay. I don't recommend doing this as a, pro as a solution for global warming, though. <laughs> now, introducing lead into the environment, that's, that's pretty bad. But does that really deserve someone the title of the single most important single organism to, to affect the environment? Well, the story is not over yet. Spore, after Thomas Midgley came up with this beautiful product, he moved on to another problem that was plaguing the society of the 1920s, both households and businesses alike. In fact, in one hospital in Cleveland in 1929, over 100 people died overnight due to this product. There were stories coming out all over the world of entire families suffocating in their sleep and dying, and even houses exploding due to this. The culprit, so I'm sure you've guessed, refrigerators. No, it wasn't that sausage that rolled to the back of the fridge over a year ago that you forgot about. It actually has to do with the refrigerants that were being used at the time. The different gases that they were using included ammonia, chloromethane, propane, and sulfur dioxide, which are all either very toxic, very flammable, or both. Everybody knew about the dangers, but nobody could come up with a solution of a gas that was less harmful. And refrigerators, and the way that they work, the pressure inside of the refrigeration system should be higher than the, that of the surrounding atmosphere, because if, it's, if any of the outside air gets into the refrigeration system, it can damage it and kill the refrigerator. Unfortunately, sorry, unfortunately, because the pressure inside is higher. If the refrigerator does leak, it's therefore leaking deadly chemicals out into the environment. Now, Thomas Midgley actually came up with a brilliant solution very, very quickly that he got very, very excited about, as did GM, as did DuPont, as did the entire world, and quickly embraced dichlorodifluoromethane, otherwise known as Freon-12. He was so excited about this that he decided to hold another public demonstration to show off the beautiful properties of this, how non-reactive it was, in which he inhaled this product into his lungs and then used it to blow out a candle, extinguish it, therefore showing how safe it was 
and also how it actually, it wasn't flammable, it was even a flame retardant and was used in some fire extinguishers after that point. Now, um, <clears throat> this got people very excited. They introduced it into refrigerators, they introduced it into aerosols, so it was going into things from aircon units all the way to spray deodorants. The one drawback of this was that this uh, Freon-12, or dichlorodifluoromethane, was the first widely produced chlorofluorocarbon, or CFC. So Thomas Midgley, after popularizing leaded petrol, decided to go on to uh, popularize CFCs, thereby doing the undoing, the one positive thing that lead had going for it. <laughs> CFC is very non-reactive, as I mentioned, and so when it leaks out into the atmosphere, it's able to hang around for quite a long time, pulling on that thread, slowly unraveling the thread of the ozone layer, bit by bit. Can hang around for over a hundred years, grabbing onto one ozone molecule, turning it into oxygen, grabbing another, turning it into oxygen. One kilogram of CFC can destroy about 70,000 kilograms of ozone and will continue to do so for long after we're all dead. It's also 10,000 times more absorbent of heat than carbon dioxide, which is pretty bad in its own right. <clears throat> now, um, Midgley died before either of his inventions were discovered in terms of the full negative effects on the environment. In 1940, he contracted polio, which later in his leisure time, he calculated the same odds of him contracting polio in 1940s America as drawing a specific card from a deck of playing cards, the height of the Empire State Building. He was clearly one lucky man. He decided to invent for himself a series of pulleys and strings to get himself out of bed and into a wheelchair to wheel himself around the apartment and allow himself a certain amount of independence, even while paralyzed. However, this final invention turned out to be his downfall when in November 1944, he, when getting out of bed using the pulley system, got tangled upon it and strangled himself to death. Bryson, or Bill Bryson, put it well when he said that Thomas Midgley had an instinct for the regrettable that was almost uncanny. <laughs> now, Thomas Midgley did a lot of bad things. However, most of them, it seems, was due to bad luck or just due to a bit of oversight. The, the really disturbing part of this story, I find, comes when, in the 1950s, after Thomas Midgley died, a young scientist named Claire Patterson by accident discovered what was happening with leaded petrol in the environment and how prevalent it was becoming. At that point, it was about 200 times the atmospheric levels before 1923. He publicly tried to get the production of leaded petrol shut down and for his work, he was rewarded by having his grants pulled from him both the private and public ones from supposedly neutral government bodies due to the fact that the lead producers and ethyl corp had a lot of friends, as I mentioned, in high places. He struggled to continue doing his research and to continue fighting until lead was finally banned. 
at the same time, the producers of lead were creating scientific studies of their own, in which, for example, in one, a doctor with no background in chemical pathology decided to show how safe lead was by having his patients inhale it or ingest it in elevated quantities for five years and then have their urine and excrement tested for presence of lead. As he didn't find any, he therefore decided that it's broken down by the body and therefore completely safe. Makes sense, right? Clearly, this man never heard of Belkia. Of course, he never tested the bones or the blood in which lead builds up over time and remains permanently inside of the body, therefore causing its horrible neurotoxic effects. But the moral of the story, in my mind, is that although sometimes it is difficult, as a scientist, sometimes it's better to swallow your pride than your inventions. Otherwise, one day you might find it's not worth pulling yourself out of bed in the morning. <laughs> Thank you very much.